In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. During the day, the wind would kick up and rough in the Sea of Galilee. But in early dawn, the water was glassy, as the fishermen put to shore and hauled their catch onto the sand. Because their nets were woven from flax, they fished at night when the mushed biney and sardines couldn't see their thick nets. They purchased the right to fish from the tetrarch Herod Antipas through the local tax collectors, such as St. Matthew. In order to make a go of it, collections of fishermen would form syndicates spreading out the cost of their license and increasing the amount of fish they could catch. John, his older brother James, their father Zebedee, and some hired hands worked one boat, while their partners, the brothers Simon, Peter, and Andrew, and another. Amongst the fishermen, this little group was an oddity. They were observant Jews and didn't work on the Sabbath, that one day of lost work representing nearly 20% of the week's earning window, 20% given up, every week, week in and week out. It can be costly to follow God's commandments. On this particular morning, however, as they were getting their catch ready for fishmongers, separating out the unclean fish like catfish to sell to the Gentiles, they saw Jesus, the son of Joseph the carpenter. They knew who he was. Both Andrew and John were disciples of John the Baptist and were there when he pointed at Jesus as he declared him to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Andrew had rushed to tell his brother that they had found the Messiah, and now the Messiah had found them. He called them, these two sets of brothers, Simon Peter and Andrew, James and John. He promised to make them fishers of men. They put down their nets and followed him. Jesus referred to James and his little brother John, sons of thunder, because of their fiery temperaments, After all, these were the two who, after a Samaritan village, gave Jesus the cold shoulder, asked him eagerly if it was time to rain down fire from heaven and destroy them. Simon, James, and John were there for it all. They spent three years with Jesus, walked with him, talked with him, ate with him. And yet it wasn't until his death and resurrection that they finally understood. John knew that Jesus was the Messiah, the one who would restore Israel and shake the pillars of the earth, ushering in a new age. But he thought that meant fire and destruction for the unrighteous, earthly glory for Israel, and perhaps, not a little selfishly, glory for he and his brother. They saw it in terms of a throne on earth, surrounded by his 12 apostles, and maybe, just maybe, with himself and his brother, sitting in places of honor, immediately on Jesus' right and left. John would indeed see Jesus enthroned, but not one here on earth fashioned by the hands of men, but a heavenly throne, the throne, one fit for the king of kings, but that would be many years later. This passionate young man, this son of thunder, would see his savior killed on the cross, his brother put to the sword, and Simon Peter and Andrew crucified. As our gospel lesson teaches us today, John was not to be reunited with his Lord anytime soon in some glorious martyrdom, which would have appealed to someone with his temperament. The cross that John had to bear was to see everyone around him die. In his life, he had to endure the destruction of Jerusalem, the soil of the promised land trampled under the boot of Caesar's legions, the temple raised, the city crushed to powder, trees cut down for miles around, and the surviving inhabitants enslaved. 
John would see the church persecuted, Christians blamed for the burning of Rome by Nero, arrested and wrapped in animal skins and thrown to wild dogs. He would see the church struggle with infighting, heresy, apostasy. And after he was exiled to the island of Patmos, all he could do to help was to write letters. Like John, each of us has been called by Christ to follow him. It's easy to get the mistaken idea that if we are called to something, it should come easy. That our calling should somehow be something we're good or gifted at. And while our natural gifts and talents are indeed something which we can utilize in bringing glory to God, there are some important distinctions to make. Take, for example, a gifted athlete. Even the most gifted athlete only achieves greatness by hard work and perseverance in harnessing their natural gifts. But the full expression of those natural inclinations and abilities always depend on using those things which do not come naturally, grit and determination. In addition, even the greatest athlete only remains competitive for a short time. Most of their lives will be spent outside that very short window of greatness. Our callings may dovetail with our natural gifts and inclinations, but far more likely, our callings will entail growth and change, leading us where we probably wouldn't want to go if we had our brothers, and will absolutely require us to acquire a humility which our gifts and inclinations often prevent. John's inclination would have been to share martyrdom with his fellow apostles and to be reunited with his Lord as soon as possible, but his calling was to be an evangelist. While tradition holds that John founded churches as an aged minor, most of his ministry took place in one place, Ephesus. Yet today we celebrate St. John as an evangelist, which should perhaps lead us to rethink our notions of evangelism. For many of us, the idea of evangelism may fill us with dread. Our minds immediately turn to guys preaching from street corners, tent revivals, pestering strangers with questions like, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? But John's stories should show us that that is not what evangelism is. It turns out that evangelism for you and me is the same as it was for John. It is following Christ wherever he leads, even when you don't understand. It means foregoing your wants for his. It means taking care of others. Remember, John took Mary into his own home and cared for her as his mother. While Peter and Paul were converting thousands, John was caring for Mary. Evangelism means taking care of the church, correcting it when it strays, and encouraging it when it flourishes. But at its heart, and this is important, what John did was to tell the story of his encounter with Christ. Our story is not John's story, although his does play a part in ours. But we are mistaken if we view evangelism as merely reciting other people's stories, even one that is as compelling as St. John's. If we are to be evangelists, it means to enter into a relationship with others as God has with us. It means telling others about the Jesus that we know and who knows us in both word and deed. Jesus is the word of God made flesh, and he lives in us and we in him. That means every word we utter Every action we undertake is a reflection of our relationship with him. Because the fact of the matter is, if we are not evangelizing, 
proclaiming through how we live our lives the joy and hope in Christ we partake in, then we are in fact doing the opposite, either pushing others away from him, or as more often the case, pushing ourselves away from Jesus as well. As we enter into Christmas tide, we navigate uncertain waters. Typically, we are entering into our celebration of Christmas just as the world is eagerly trying to pack it all back in the attic or dump it out on the curb for the next trash pickup. How we celebrate in this time of uncertainty where friends, families, loved ones are unable to gather, where many are suffering with a devastating disease, injustice, the revelation of the shaky foundations of society, the reminder of the fragility of our existence, and all the doubt, uncertainty, fear, and loneliness that this year has surfaced is something that we are all still trying to figure out. Yet it is precisely now in which our celebration as a manifestation of Christ's hope and joy is not only the balm which transforms our own suffering, but the suffering of the world. Our celebration is not one which discounts or ignores the reality in which we find ourselves, but ours is a response and a declaration of a, re of a reality so transcendently bright that it gives a lie to the reality that the world constructs for itself. While the world frets about what new tragedy will befall it, searches for blame, or tries to dull the pain, our celebration offers the only possibility of lasting peace and joy. This past year has revealed for many the darkness that encompasses the world, but it still fools itself into thinking that each thing that glimmers in the darkness is the answer. Our celebration during the season of Christmas tide must be one that flows forth from our relationship with Jesus, deepening our relationship with one another, and ultimately drawing others into communion with us and with Jesus. Our celebration, in other words, is all our callings as evangelists. Our celebration points others to the source of that glimmer of light in the world, showing the things of creation as mere reflections of the light of Christ. Our task as followers of Christ is to allow his light to shine through our lives, proclaiming the good news in all that we do and are. And if we truly believe that is indeed good news, we will rightly celebrate that joy and be truly evangelical. And while how we celebrate in this time is something we must still figure out together, we can turn back to St. John for guidance in where to begin to, to discover the answer. When St. John recounted his prophetic vision with which the New Testament ends, the gift he was granted was begun in prayer. Prayer is both the beginning and culmination of our life in Christ and is the essential element in both our own spiritual journey, the heart of evangelism, and the necessary precursor and completion of true celebration. It is there in prayer where we find the answer and how to celebrate in times such as these. It is in prayer where we find the answer when asked the reason for the hope that is within us and declare along with St. John, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.